Hello, and welcome to the Warden Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Kiana Sani. Today, we are joined by Clay Wilkes, CEO and founder of Galileo Processing. Since its founding in 2000, Galileo has grown to become one of the largest payments processors and program managers in North America. Galileo applies tech and engineering capabilities to empower the most exciting fintech companies, financial institutions, and investment firms, bringing ambitious concepts to life in the complex world of payments and financial services. Prior to founding Galileo, Clay founded iLink, which developed voice over IP and the world's first switchless voice network. As CEO, he took iLink public and authored patents for voice over IP. Clay, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on. Hello, Kian. It's nice to be here, and thank you for having me. So I thought it would be great to start with your fascinating background. You spent time at Sperry, IBM, Novell. You founded iLink in 1994. Tell us a bit about your career path that eventually led you to FinTech. I'm a developer by training. I have a technology background, mostly developing operating systems and communications. Uh, along the way, I patented uh, the patent for voice over IP in 1994. Uh, we took that company public. Uh, that was a very disruptive technology to switch-based communications and really upending an entire industry. And a few, a few years later, uh, we saw an opportunity to do something similar in payments, and that's when we created Galileo. Many have described uh, Galileo's capabilities as the most uh, sophisticated in the world, but our goal is to make these capabilities easily accessible through a set of easy-to-consume APIs. So I'm, I'm curious, you, you take iLink public, and then it's spring of the year 2000, dot-com bubble has just burst. What is motivating you to take the technology you used to, in iLink to start a payment processor and move into fintech? The technology that was uh, available in, in payments uh, in, in or around 2000 um, was largely um, mainframe-based um, and not well-suited for the Internet age that we were living in. And that was the opportunity that we saw was to create something that was uh, significantly uh, different based on um, you know, modern systems and, and um, scalable technology, and, and that was really the foundation uh, the architecture of Galileo is really uh, very different and very similar to uh, operating systems and file systems and not at all like most payment processors where you're, you're concerned with the inputs and outputs of a payment transaction. We organize information, and that information happens to be a payment transaction. It's a very different approach. So a lot of our listeners may not even realize it, but your sophisticated processing platform powers many of the most innovative fintechs and financial institutions that they interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Can you tell us a bit about how you see Galileo's role in financial services and how Galileo powers the world's most innovative and emerging fintechs and enterprise solutions for payment providers? Yes, we are uh, the enterprise solution provider for payments, and we like to think of ourselves as the AWS for payments, um, easy to manage, cost-effective, and, and instantly available. And we are to issuing what Stripe is to acquiring. Um, we work with the most important fintechs in the world, Chime, Varo, TransferWise, PaySafe, Glint, Coho, Robinhood, and Google, just to name a few, and we handle millions of transactions every day. The real reason that we uh, got into this business is that we want to have a, uh, a positive impact on people's lives based on how they manage their money. 
and we see a transformation that's underway in financial services, um, just as there has been in many other aspects of our lives that technology touches. And there are many examples of this, but uh, just one is in the area of the convergence of savings and investing. Uh, investing. And we believe this year that many of these um, fintechs and challenger banks will begin offering uh, rates uh, that are, um, are are close to or based on the effective Fed rate, uh, Fed funds rate, on savings and deposits. And these will these uh, will be demand deposits, which will be very different and different than anything that's in the marketplace uh, today. And uh, again, very disruptive. But this is just one of hundreds of things that uh, that we do that helps to power this um, this fintech revolution. Wow. So. So you're working with Chime, Varo, Robinhood, Google. How do how do they interact with your payment processor, your your platform? Is this something that you have a sales team, you go out to them, do they come to you, they have a specific pain point or issue, or are you just better at getting them to market faster? Um, it's been a little bit of both. Uh, we do have a sales team, uh, and the primary way in which they interact with us is via our API. So we, uh, two years ago, we, we provided a, we opened our API. We've had APIs for uh, the better part of 15 years. Um, again, providing these uh, easy to, to use access, uh, accessible APIs is really the, the key to, and has been the key to our success. Um, and that's, that's been the, the way in which uh, these clients uh, interact with us. So we provide the, um, infrastructure, the tech stack, as well as the middle office and back office functions that are sort of behind the scenes that give these firms, Chime, Varo, Monzo, and Aspiration, um, an opportunity to create uh, great consumer experiences where they can really provide differentiating products. And that's really the advantage that Galileo provides them. And I imagine this is extremely expensive or difficult for all these firms to build in-house. Can you tell us a bit about one of the advantages that Galileo provides that gets these guys out faster, these, their products out faster? Yes. Um, the, the infrastructure is very costly. The technology that, um, that sits atop that, that technology is also very expensive to, to develop. And, and it's not necessarily the differentiator that um, uh, these, these products, and, and the products exist in, in, a, in a wide variety of different instantiations. So, we see challenger banks, but we also see products uh, coming out in, in healthcare, in insurance, um, in, in fast tech or wealth tech, um, and a variety of these other areas, related areas that, that fall under the umbrella of, of um, fintech broadly. And um, it's, not, it's not an area where they necessarily want to make investments. Um, they want to get to market quickly, and they want to uh, develop these differentiating products. And it's in that consumer experience that really, um, you know, great value is found. Absolutely. So you talked about a couple different industries where fintech's being applied, investtech. Um, you guys have a credit platform now, securities. Over over time, how's how's Galileo moved from more of a monoline solutions provider to a multi-line solutions provider in asset and wealth management, credit, securities? How are you innovating each of these spaces? There's many ways in which we've um, delivered innovation over the years, but um, you've touched on a, a, a good one um, that, that is um, relevant uh, right now, and that is the area of um, cash management. Um, we're delivering a cash management product that is changing the way advisors, wealth managers, asset managers 
are interacting with clients and attracting new customers and new assets under management. It provides uh, high-yielding deposits, uh, dynamically balanced across the yield curve, and provides instant liquidity. And this is new, and it's uh, also very exciting. And just to give you an example of what that might look like, an advisor might have a client um, has their entire equities portfolio, but their cash is held in an account with a marginal or no interest uh, income at a traditional bank. Um, but worse, the bank has a wealth management function, and so the advisor's job is constantly under assault. But with Gal- Galileo Money Plus or our cash management product, the advisor can offer a cash management product um, that is truly acting as a fiduciary for the account holder, but also removes the threat that um, you know the, the, that their their bank is um, the client's bank is essentially um, placing on their on their job. Another example might be an asset manager that um, has managed the 401k assets of an employee for 40 years, and now the employee is set to retire and will roll over these funds into an IRA. But with Galileo Money Plus, the asset manager can easily create a full banking service product and continue to manage these uh, services, um, these assets, through the decumulation phase. These are just um, two small examples of how this cash management product um, is being applied in the, the wealth tech and invest tech um, area. And we'll, we'll see, um, you know, um, very significant firms rolling this product out to 2019. You made a very good point, which is that cash management is just absolutely exploding right now. You've seen emerging fintechs all engaging in this battle for deposits, whether their, you know, initial use framework was either to do invest tech or asset management or wealth management, or they started as, you know, a, debit card provider, but now we're seeing Stash Invest, Robinhood, Wealthfront, all starting debit debit accounts, taking deposits. Um, there seems to be a real battle for these deposits to gain access to users' cash to then reallocate it and distribute. How How is Galileo engaging with that? How do you, you kind of see this trend emerging? Um, everything that's new and exciting um, in payments um, has grown out of the fintech movement. Um, it's interesting to be watching what is occurring in Europe right now with open banking. And we believe you will begin seeing products in this space that will really challenge the status quo and even more so than the current fintech model and a few of the firms that you touched on. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, <clears throat> we'll see uh, products that um, layer in as an open service on top of, um, you know, an existing um, structure that allows um, funds to drive um, into asset management. And and that's going to be a, a very um, uh, disruptive capability. And Galileo is, uh, is is in the middle of a lot of that uh, right now. So um, you, you touched on a few of the emergent um, players, but some of the larger, um, bigger established um Players um, such as BlackRock and Vanguard uh, will be getting into this space. We also see very large RIAs um, getting into it. We'll see, um, um, you know, some of the RIA services firms um, uh, getting into this uh, area, and it, it, it is very, very exciting to, to see uh, um, see this. And, and the, the 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 difference for the consumer is huge. Um, you know, they might be getting zero or close to zero on deposits and savings today. Um, and, and yet there are these products that are out there that um, say, you know, a CEO or CFO 
uh, or hedge fund manager or somebody that's managing a large uh, set of funds might have access to, and yeah, the average individual um, um, doesn't have access to these products. These, these solutions will change that. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Wealthfront's offering 2.2%. Uh, I think Robinhood was offering 3%. Stash Invest is offering stock-backed rewards on payments. So rapidly changing space, very different from what the large institutions were doing. From a regulatory standpoint, do you interact with these uh, institutions at all, and how, do you, how does that add a layer of complication to what they're doing? Uh, we certainly do. We stay, um, you know, compliant. A big part of our, our business is uh, staying compliant with law um, and regulation. And uh, we provide, we help provide uh, some of that infrastructure for our clients. So on whether you're on the banking side and staying compliant with the various federal or state banking regulators or on the security side and staying compliant with the uh, SEC and FINRA requirements and other requirements that fall into that space, um, we we absolutely encourage our, our clients to uh, be compliant and help them um, to be compliant with uh, with these various regulations. And uh, all of these uh, innovations have to come within the framework of, uh, of what is out there in terms of uh, law and regulation. And what we're hoping is that um, is that the framework. Uh, is is compliant enough, not just here in the United States, but globally, to allow these innovations to um, you know to be occurring. Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure that's a huge value add for your clients as well, who have to deal with this on a day-to-day basis, and it's very costly for them to build into their infrastructure as well. Why does fintech matter in today's world, and how has fintech become the innovation engine for payment? That's a great question. Um, Fintech matters because uh, the generation um, that is um, just behind our generation, uh, maybe closer to yours or, or even your, your own children, um, it, it's, it's evolving. It's, it's, um, it's rapidly um, developing, and we, we expect to see this um, to continue. It, it, it's this, um, fintech will not be a flash. It will be a continuing evolution and evolution away from um, you know, traditional uh, infrastructure of, of banks and, and the, the way in, in which uh, money moved, um, you know, traditionally, including, you know, five, ten years ago. Um, and just a couple of examples, um, you know, providing, uh, opening the APIs has been a, a great accelerant um, for um, for this this rapid change in, in uh, fintech development. Um, we are uh, providing a... Um, uh, a product uh, around instant issuing, um, where today uh, it's it's difficult to as, to have a relationship um, with a um, a payments um, provider, an enterprise payment solutions provider, and uh, and we're changing that through our um, our Galileo instant issuing uh, product. We expect to um, be able to where where today you can come and and begin developing uh, APIs. It would be nice to be able to have those um, in full production so that you can. Um, issue instantly, and you can move payments in, in instantly. And this is just one one example of where um, you know months um, becomes minutes, and uh, that's that's uh, some of this accelerating uh, returns that we expect to see uh, in in payments and, and fintech. And we expect to see this to continue um, globally as well. So as you look at developing countries um, such as Mexico, where we're moving strongly into. 
um, you know, these countries um, have not had payments infrastructure. And so a, a, an enterprise payments uh, provider that can power the fintechs that are, are approach things slightly differently in these types of markets, um, India is another, China is another, and we're, we're um, into discussions and, and into product development in all of these countries. And um, we're, we're looking at, um, you know, how this, uh, this global expansion of, uh, of fintech and, and payment services um, you know, really uh, moves around the globe, and it's it's happening happening very very rapidly. That's fascinating. I mean, it, it does seem like LA is leading the way with its open APIs. You mentioned earlier the open banking protocols in Europe. You have the Payment Services Directive (PSD2). Why why is the U.S. behind Europe in this? And do you do you see that changing over time? Is that going to open up the way it has in Europe? Um, I, I, I believe so. I think it, it, will, it may be more voluntary than it, it is by, um, you know, edicts coming out of uh, the EU, but um, um, we absolutely are already beginning to see these types of services that um, are, are provided. And, and I like seeing, um, you know, well, a lot of the tech and fintech is based here in the United States, and the development and the innovation is, is here by regulation. Um, the EU and the UK um, are actually kind of pushing back um, you see this in privacy with GDPR, and um, PSD2 is a good example of this as well, um, where they're essentially saying, hey, it's great, have that tech on shore here, but um, we want our citizens protected in the following ways, or we want enhancements to these types of services, or we want to see um, you know, a continuing evolution of the, even our, our, our own banking infrastructure. And so they're, you know, they're coming out with these progressive laws that I really think are, are, are good and um, are are meaningful here in the United States, and and we ought to be uh, paying attention to to these. In the UK, Galileo has uh, five out of the six uh, leading uh, fintech firms as clients as they've moved into the United States. Um, And there are, just in London alone, there are 1,600 fintech firms. So the opportunity in in these markets is, is huge. And uh, we're we're really still at the at the beginning of of uh, the fintech movement, and and um, not anywhere close to the uh, to the apex. That's exciting to hear. I uh, we there's definitely a few more interesting things I really want to talk about on the Galileo front. Your application of AI in reducing payments fraud is absolutely fascinating topic. Can you tell us a bit about what you guys are doing with AI? Absolutely. Um, AI is uh, is a, an enormous area of uh, development uh, for Galileo, and we've had tremendous success with it. And part of that success is our proximity to the data. Um, and we've we've had a, a long-term investment in uh, big data, in analytics, and um, and and business analytics that that that, that delivers solutions, real solutions, back to our clients. And, uh, and AI is an outgrowth of that, um, and we've had um, really uh, enormous success with AI. Uh, for example, um, in applying AI to fraud, uh, we are operating programs today at an 80% reduction to the industry average, and this is, uh, this is made uh, possible uh, by our incredible AI capabilities. And, uh, and as you look at fraud, this is the single biggest factor in profitability for, uh, for fintech companies and issuers alike. Um, you know, fraud is, is a thing that, that really, uh, hits hard at the bottom line. And, um, 
And if you can reduce that by 80%, um, that's a big deal. And this is one of the ways in which we've been winning uh, a, lot of, uh, uh, a lot of deals. Um, the other areas where we are looking at AI um, and uh, applying AI technology is um, in, in, um, in some of the following areas. Um, the, there's enormous amounts of data um, that come off of uh, these programs. For example, we are managing um, about 1.5 billion events in our environment today, um, and that's a vast amount of data that can really only be uh, looked at and examined, scrutinized by AI itself. So in the area of information security, this is a, a huge um, uh, application and one that we've invested heavily in. Um, the threats are, um, in that regard, are real, um, and uh, we expect that threat to continue. Um, and then another is uh, is more on the productivity side. So we are looking at um, AI in areas where uh, you might see expansion of AI to predict account holder outcomes or predict balances. And if you could get to get to that. Um, uh, my goodness, you'd have um, you'd have the silver bullet that that most um, you know financial services firms are really looking for. I imagine I imagine a lot of the data you guys are processing. It sounds like thousands of terabytes there. How much of this is unstructured, and how hard is it to develop a platform that can really analyze this data? That's a great question. It's really all unstructured data, and so you've got to. You've got to have techniques and capabilities that allow um, for the analysis of that unstructured data and be able to create relationships uh, between the data points um, so that you can follow a, a threat or a threat threat, um, you know, uh, through, um, you know, uh, to the conclusion and, and really identify these vectors and, and, uh, and, and defend against them. And, and that becomes the biggest um, challenge as we as we move more and more and more into this uh, uh, world of data. And, and let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, just a few years ago, the threat um, in the infosec um, arena might have been, you know, a young kid uh, over in Europe. Um, and then we saw state actors, um, you know, such as, you know, possibly North Korea or China. Um, and, um, and then um, where are we today? We're really in, uh, in an area of weaponized AI. Uh, right, so you might have AI on the other side of the fence, and uh, and that that AI it doesn't make mistakes, it's patient, it it never sleeps, and uh, it's a it's a, a threat that um, will be there um, and persistent um, regardless. And and the only way that you're going to be able to identify these threats is uh, is through the use of AI. Um, so you know if you imagine um, Bearing a, uh, a threat, um, you know, really bit by bit, pixel by pixel into a video uh, recording. Um, this is the kind of thing that, that um, is really hard to identify. It looks like an aberration, um, you know, possibly, but maybe not. Maybe it's just skipped over completely. And, and you've got to be able to dig into this data and find those threats. It's, it's a huge topic. It's a huge cost for banks to deal with this type of cybersecurity and the fraud as well that we touched on. Uh, funny enough, literally just two weeks ago, I had my credit card account um, stolen and had a bunch of payments. And I don't know who's paying for that, but I'm assuming it's the bank and it's, it's not an easy thing for them to deal with. I was reading a bit about your credit solutions platform and just to take us a bit back to the payment space. Uh, I saw that you guys are working also on a point of sale financing solution. Point of sales become a huge area of growth in the payment space. Where where do you see that evolving? I mean, it's originally it was static. 
Now there's a fluid point of sale terminal. I feel like there's a point where we're going to get to you just grab something off the shelf and walk right out and facial recognition just picks up your tab. I mean, how, how has that been evolving for you? How, what are your, what are you seeing from your clients? You know, point of sale um, and, um, and having, having really your point of sale in your hand uh, in, in terms of mobile device, when you walk into a, an experience at a merchant um, is really a, an interesting um, convergence point. And we're beginning to see this. So for example, the FIS and, and WorldPay, um, you know, uh, acquisition, um, yeah. the introduction of Stripe, Stripe issuing and uh, other companies such as Wave um, up, in, uh, up in Canada, you know, they've got, uh, they're seeing huge opportunity to leverage distribution and payment efficiencies. And we'll continue to see this uh, convergence as the consumer experience and lines of, and, of sources and uses of funds grow tighter and tighter. And that's essentially the question that you're asking. So having the ability to be able to provide credit and not just the debit capability in that arena is is key, and we see that the demand for credit products is huge, and uh, our credit uh, our credit products and credit offerings um, are are um, are absolutely in, under demand, and and we we begin to see those as adjacent opportunities for the emergent uh, fintech um, because it's 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 a great um, you know adjacent opportunity for the distribution that they already already have. And, and how does that work? Is it is it similar to like a rent a center, where you buy furniture and you end up on a two year plan to pay down the cost of that furniture, or is it is it more complicated than that? It it could be that, um, and you might have you might have providers that might do um, exactly that. You know, for example, um, you might have Walmart who wants to get into the credit issuance space, or another big retailer who. When you walk in and, and, and they know that you're looking for, um, you know, a, a large screen TV for the Super Bowl, um, they become the credit issuer by, um, really by disintermediating the, the traditional credit that you might have in your, in your pocket. Um, so it could be that, it could be offering such as that. Um, but, um, it, it could also be just traditional, um, commercial or traditional consumer credit. Um, and we're, we're, we're seeing demand sort of across the spectrum, um, there. We, we offer a wide variety of credit-related products, um, and um, anywhere from you know, you know, over traditional overdraft on debit, um, through secured card, and up through um, consumer credit to, to commercial credit, and and all of these innovations um, that you're talking about, um, such as uh, the innovation at the point of sale and credit offers there, um, are really the kinds of um, consumer experience that these various fintech companies can can implement using the Galileo platform. And this really takes us to the democratization of the access to payments. People who weren't getting, you know, ability to pay for products like this or be able to have a high enough credit standards to take out a credit card from a large financial institution are now having the opportunity to do that. Can you talk about this trend and how that's changing the environment for fintechs and financial institutions? The democratization of credit is very much uh, similar to the democratization of, uh, of you know, access to uh, uh, interest returns. And, um, you know, we expect that the traditional models that have been in place um, will, will begin to, 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 um, to change or be altered. So, for example, um, a provider like Aura, um, James Gutierrez's um, company, you know, he, he – um, um, they're providing innovative models that allow for the identification of, of credit and credit issuance where um, traditional scoring models, um, you know, um, 
might, might be leaving um, certain individuals or certain opportunities uh, out on the sidelines. And, and those are exciting products as well. And um, so, yeah, so there will be in, in, innovation that provides democratization and the access to credit. We're already seeing that um, in pretty significant ways. Where, where does that eventually move? Are we going to have alternatives to FICA or rating creditors? Is it is the point of sale financing platform in the future really going to use a FICO score? Is it going to use more data, more of a history of payments of a customer? Yeah, I think it's more the latter. I think that um, I'm not expecting a complete breakdown because, again, you've got to provide this in a regulatory uh, framework and structure, and a simple score is a nice way for the regulators to get behind that. But Right. Um, as more and more testing and more and more data becomes um, available, and you know, we were talking about using AI to predict outcomes. Imagine that, you know, if if I could score you um, based on some data points, and I know what that outcome ought to look like, um, then I know that you know Clay is is a good risk, and and uh, Joe is not, um, or, or vice versa. And, and these are these are. Uh, really, really exciting areas, and uh, we're getting more and more experience with them. These uh, models are growing, uh, you know, more and more experienced at uh, being able to pick out and identify the uh, the opportunities that that are, are really out there. It's absolutely fascinating. You you mentioned uh, earlier we were talking about my generation, millennials, and we're you also mentioned um, overdraft on debit being an extremely costly point um, for people. I was reading a stat that three out of five millennials carry a credit card balance month to month, and 45% of millennials don't even know the interest they pay on their credit card. How, how much of a risk is that? How dangerous is that for the economy? And how are fintechs really moving to help fix this trend and accommodate a new generation of up-and-coming uh, borrowers and payers? I, I expected that um, the the problem, the scenario you have identified, um, will will absolutely be addressed and be addressed in two ways. One is uh, as the generation um, gets older, and I think this is true of all generations, uh, and not just the, the millennial generation. But as they age and get older, they um, one they begin making a lot of money. They become um, dialed into that as they buy homes and they buy, um, you know, develop families and you know have the responsibilities, the financial responsibilities that go along with all of that. Um, they, they do become, you know, more astute um, on on their um, payments and, the, and their money. Um, so that's that's one. Two, um, the the firms that are providing these um, these types of capabilities um, become more and more competitive. And so, um, just like we've seen in in the debit arena, um, we'll begin seeing these types of products in the credit arena as well. Um, so that um, you know the, the democratization that we were discussing earlier really does happen. And uh, it happens in in pretty significant ways and in creative ways and and fun and exciting ways. One of the uh, one of the topics we haven't gone as much in depth into that Galileo has recently started providing is a security solution. I was wondering if you can elaborate a bit on uh, your new product and what you're doing in the space. Certainly, um, you know, as you look at um, the way in which a, a payment transaction occurs um, in the United States, for example, uh, that transaction occurs by um, the currency in which um, it's it's domiciled. So here in the United States, obviously, the U.S. dollar. And as you move around the globe um, and transact around the globe, um, you know it's happening in the respective fiat currency of that country. 
Um, but it could ha be happening or occurring in, a, in an alternate asset form or, or, or basis. Um, so, um, you know, we see companies like Glint uh, in, in the UK um, that is really providing a product that is transacting against gold. Um, we're powering that initiative. But a more exciting uh, opportunity uh, is, um, is, you know, we've got about $10 trillion in the United States that really is, uh, is in the um, bank, um, traditional bank savings and deposit type programs. There's another $20, billion, $20 trillion, excuse me. $20 trillion, so all told, $30 trillion. But that $20 trillion that exists in securities is a very exciting uh, area. And so if you can be transacting against a, an alternate form of asset, uh, in other words, as I walk into um, you know, Starbucks and uh, go to purchase a cup of coffee, um, and it's uh, $3.50, um, today, you can be um, invested or you can be liquid. You cannot be both. And, and this changes that. You can actually be invested right up to the moment in which you um, do that transaction. And that's really, really, really exciting. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's what's made possible by our, our Galio Securities um, capabilities. Wow. Are you working with any clients on that already? Uh, yeah, we rolled that out uh, in January. Uh, we've already signed uh, a number of uh, clients, um, and um, uh, we'll be uh, making we they will be making public announcements um, throughout the coming uh, weeks and months. And um, so, yes, it's it's already been commercialized and, and already out there, and, and uh, with very significant firms. Wow, well, very excited to see that. Uh, definitely something that's interesting to me learning how to save and invest better. And then one of the biggest hurdles to that is the fact that you want to have money in your debit account and your investing account at the same time, but simultaneously up until now, it seems like it was difficult to do. Yeah. The friction, the friction there is, is, is one, you know, it's, it's uh, all of these uh, various things that we've been talking about in FinTech are really about um, eliminating friction, right? Making things smooth, making it easy. I want to I want to have a, a, a seamless experience from the the work that I provide for my employer and to the society um, to my interaction with that same society. Um, I want right. that to all be frictionless. I don't want to have to worry about um, you know where are my funds, how much money is it making, how much money is it costing me, um, you know all these various things that have existed historically and some of them have existed for somewhat arbitrary reasons. Um, if you look at the difference between um, traditional banks and the um, uh, securities world, um, th they've existed because um, the products are different, the regulatory uh, environments are different, the, the um, firms that offer the solutions are different, and so you end up with this friction between the two um, just in, in terms of moving the money. But more, more broadly, it would be nice if, um, if, if the, the individuals, the millennials you were talking about earlier, especially as they're entering the uh, entering the, the, the market um, could have access, um, you know, to these um, new and exciting products. And that will be made possible by, by not only the fintechs, but um, some of the um, larger uh, investment firms as they begin to compete for some of those dollars. Wanted to um, also touch on some of your humanitarian and environmentalist efforts. Uh, you founded the Galileo Foundation with, with your wife. It's, an absolutely amazing foundation. Why was it so important for you to found this as part of your business? 
we've been operating the Galileo Foundation for over 10 years. Uh, we've done um, many expeditions um, into South America and uh, into India. We've done water projects, greenhouses, schools, women's centers, and provided education. And these experiences are a way for us to go into the world and experience people and cultures through a wider lens. Employees uh, at Galileo get uh, PTO, but they also get HPTO or humanitarian paid time off. And yeah. so we will pay them to go, to go out into the world and to have these experiences because uh, we believe it's important. Um, but um, what happens is that it's always enriching. Um, very, very few people that have gone out and, and they're able to take, you know, friends, um, uh, family, uh, business associates on these various expeditions. And um, it, it, it's a truly uh, life-changing event. Um, and beyond the humanitarian work, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of our core values. And we have a similar core value related to the earth that we live on. Um, and um, so we actually pay employees $5,000, as an example, to drive an electric vehicle. But we'll also pay uh, pay for, for them to convert their home um, power to green, and we'll pay 50% of their power bill for doing that. We've converted our own corporate campus to green power. We believe these things are important, and while um, Galileo might make a, a small difference um, in, in doing that in our own corporate environment, by setting, um, by setting an example and by talking about it and by being a part of, um, hey, the, the, these various types of things matter, um, and just join the conversation. We believe it's, it's, uh, it has a rippling effect, and um, and we're beginning to see that, um, you know, through firms like um, by, like BlackRock um, and and their various announcements on ESG and, and the like a year ago. Not that we influence that, but but that that that, that voice is out there, and, and uh, we think it's really important. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's an absolutely amazing foundation. I think we'd be lucky for even 10% of firms out there to emulate what you guys have been doing. It's absolutely selfless philanthropic goal that we should to be more of a focus of all firms going forward. Well, thank you. We, we, we thoroughly enjoy that experience. So a couple other small topics we want to touch on just what we're seeing in the market. Uh, we've seen 39 billion in FinTech investment um, over the past year. What what is driving that? Are is is it just more of a desire to break into fintech? Is it more fintechs coming out of the market? Are we seeing a consolidation in fintech? What what do you think of this huge amount of investment in the space? We have seen a lot of money move into fintech. Um, developing the consumer experience is key, and that's one of the reasons why Galileo is, is succeeding as, as much as we are. Um, if these fintech firms can get any scale at all, um, um, they can then achieve um, really tremendous uh, valuations, and we've seen that. We've seen, um, you know, um, astronomical uh, valuations. That isn't necessarily good for the investment model, and long term yeah. that will be s- somewhat self-correcting. Um, but um, as we move into the next phase, we will begin to see consolidation and the emergence of clear capital and market leaders and winners. And um, and, and when that happens, um, there, there will be um, consolidation in, in terms of uh, acquisition and, and, and um, you know, various other forms of, of uh, consolidation. And, and it will be uh, uh, more and more difficult to compete. There's, a, there's an interesting thing that's happening. I'd be very interested, and we don't have to do it on this. It's another uh, discussion. But 
Um, I've read several articles recently where fintech has literally taken over um, discussions, has become the primary topic at business school, and um, and and that in and of itself is a is a very powerful indicator of how important the sector of fintech is and and how exciting it is. And when you say there's going to be a correction, are you saying that valuations are inflated at the moment due to the high amount of, amount of investment and money being moved into the area? It's hard to say. I mean, these these investors are looking for uh, looking for the winners. They're looking for trends. They 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 try to identify these trends early, um, and um, and so based on on traditional investment models, I would say they're they're inflated. Are they inflated um, long term? In other words, can they ultimately uh, make money at the types of valuations that we're seeing? Um, I think the answer is yes. Um, I don't see you know hyperinflation in that um, today. Um, they, the investors are being cautious, um, but um, there's certainly a lot of uh, a high degree of interest, and uh, and we we see this uh, early um, in in the development of these uh, various uh, businesses. And um, and long term, um, are they sustainable? I think so. I mean, at least some of them. You're going to see a lot of winning models come out of the fintech. There's about 4,800 of them globally, and we expect to see that number. Uh, triple or quadruple in in uh, wow. you know in in you know, just cu- coming years. So um, you know there's going to be a lot of competition for fintech. It's going to provide a lot of innovation, and um, that's why I see. I, I think we're very very early in in this curve, and um, um, you know the the opportunity for um, for some of these firms to begin to assert um, kind of a global dominance, um, you will see um, clear leaders come out of uh, out of fintech. So we'll see the tech equivalent, you know, fintech giants that are equivalent to the tech giants that uh, that will that will emerge absolutely. Um, and I feel like I feel like we're already kind of seeing a bit of a pullback. I feel like some larger institutional banks are worried about having bloated goodwill on their balance sheet, so they're more a bit more hesitant to invest when they can just partner uh, is something we've been hearing from some of our other guests on the podcast. I think that's true. One, one last question um, for you. Thank you again for taking so much of your time today to be with us. As, as someone who's founded two companies, taking many lessons probably from the, from iLink that you brought to Galileo, what are, what are recommendations you have for young entrepreneurs looking to start a business in the FinTech space? What are what are you know great lessons you've learned uh, through through the founding of two companies, one one being in the fintech space? The advice I would give to the um, uh, to the um, you know the the entrepreneur that's trying to get into the space is to um, it, it's it's pure force of will um, to to start a business and do it in the face of uh, any type of adversity. So just as um, as an example, I mean Galileo. We lived through the uh, through the correction, um, you know, 2008 to 2010, um, really? and you know these are challenging times. And so, if you believe in your product and you 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 offer um, a great value and you believe that that innovation can attract um, consumers in the marketplace, then stay with it no matter what. You know, whatever a first um, prospective investor might say um, isn't the ultimate outcome. And um, you just you if you are persistent and you believe in your idea and you'll adapt and change to the marketplace, uh, you can be successful. And the other thing that I would say is attract great talent. Um, you know, hire the the very very best and brightest uh, people that you can that you can hire, and uh, those people will uh, will serve you well. 
And uh, I think that if you do those two things, um, you can create a successful business. That's fantastic advice. Uh, I think we should all take that to heart, those of us thinking about founding a company. Clay, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, I know you're very busy, so we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, I very much appreciate it. Thanks so much.